We are in Philippians chapter number four today, and we are finishing up our series, Mastermind. And it has been, to me, it has been a powerful truth for me. Certainly, it's been something that I have thought about and focused on over the years, and especially within probably the last year or so, just thinking about my mind and thinking about focusing my mind and really trying to make that a priority, seeing how it affects and connects so many different areas of my life. And so really just in the last uh, couple of months in studying this, you know, just seeing how powerful it is and how important it is for us to understand uh, the need to control our mind. We're going to win the war of our mind. And let me encourage you, if you um, have not been here or if you have and need to, go back and, and uh, listen. We're recording the lessons and so they're all available. Uh, either find them on our Facebook page. Um, Apple, Spotify, Google, it's a podcast. You can find that there. And I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Um, as I have been going back and, and listening to it, getting them posted, they're helping me, just hearing and being reminded of the truth. Again, it's, it's, not, it's not because of me or my delivery, but the truth of God's word is so important, so vital. And it does, this truth will affect you and, and can help you if you figure it out, you, you get a hold of it. Um, or it will it will destroy you if you don't have this figured out and, and learn how we're supposed to focus our mind and master our mind. So uh, before we get into today, what have we learned? What have we learned in the last uh, few weeks or so? We said that there is a spiritual battle uh, that is being waged in our mind. Um, we're in a spiritual battle. We know that. We've looked at that many times through Ephesians. We know that we're engaged in warfare and the battle many times is going to be won or lost in our minds. We said that our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. So if we want to change our lives, then we've got to change our thinking. Uh, we said it's nearly impossible to live a positive life when we have a negative mind. When our mind dwells on negative, critical, uh, unhealthy uh, disobedient thoughts, untrue uh, thoughts that are based on lies, then it's going to be impossible to live a positive Christ-honoring life. We said that your life is a reflection of the thoughts that you think. Uh, the life that you live is a reflection of the thoughts that you think. What goes into your mind will come out in your life. And again, that is why it's so important that we learn how to focus our mind on truth, bringing those thoughts into captivity, like Paul says uh, in 2 Corinthians. So uh, we've been looking at the Apostle Paul, and we have seen his example uh, from being someone like us, who struggles with, uh, who has issues with and difficulty uh, with the thoughts of their minds. And so uh, as we look at his life and how he's developed and how he's grown and the struggle that he's had with his mind, ultimately the victory that he's had with his mind through the truth of Christ, we come to the end of his life and we've looked at Philippians. We've been studying that even on Thursday nights up in the college. And I love the book of Philippians, seeing the focus of the Apostle Paul late in his life, uh, at the end of his life, despite everything that he's going through, being imprisoned in Rome, and yet he's still able to have focus uh, on the truth of Christ. We've looked at the Apostle Paul, and so as we look at Philippians, we see him as a prisoner in Rome. And uh, he wanted to be there. We know from his early writings, we know from reading his story in the book of Acts, that Paul had wanted to go there as a preacher. That was like his ultimate goal for life. 
Seems like that's how or why he structured his missionary journeys the way he did. He kept getting closer and closer to Rome, and that was his goal. That was his desire, to go there as a preacher. He never saw himself being there, though, as a prisoner. But that's what God's will was, and that was how his life would end up. And so we see him now uh, in Rome as a prisoner, and he writes this inspiring letter uh, of joy. And we've looked at so many of these great verses uh, in Philippians. And so we end in chapter 4. We looked at a little bit this a couple weeks ago, but start in chapter 4 and uh, look at verse number 4. Philippians chapter 4, look at verse number 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6, be careful for nothing. Be anxious about nothing. Don't worry about things. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God. Well, if you underline or circle anything in your Bible, I want you to underline or mark peace of God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, whatsoever things... Uh, excuse me, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Verse 9, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. And uh, Paul finishes here, we looked at how one of the last things that he wanted to give to the Philippian church was focusing on their thoughts. Verse number 8, and making sure that their thoughts are focused on the right things, they're fixed on, they're thinking on things that are based on truth, the Word of God, all of those characteristics of the Word of God. And uh, he goes before that, though, and says in verse 6, we just read it, but look back at it. It says, be careful, or be anxious, or don't worry, uh, uh, for nothing, but in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, uh, in verse number 7. And so, as we start today, let me ask you, how many of you have had times where your thoughts have just run away from you? And you have had a negative thought, a thought of worry, a thought of doubt, uh, panic, anxiety, and it's just run away from you. Maybe it's irrational worry. Maybe it's, it's not based upon reality. It's not something that you have to worry about or are facing right now, but, but you, you're, it just starts compounding, and you start thinking about that. Maybe you've got an event that triggers fear or anxiety, something that you experienced when you were younger, and every time you see that thing, or every time you uh, go to that place, or every time you hear something, that just triggers something in you that just brings fear. Um, you know, many of you know that, that I'm allergic to shrimp, but I haven't had shrimp since I was a very, very young child. And uh, I don't remember much about it. I just remember that it was a very, very traumatic experience. My mother's in here. She testified to this. Um, but I, and, and, you know, sometimes they say that you have allergies. They grow out of you. You, you know, can find. And I found that even in some areas. I, I have, my allergies have lessened some of the things that I was allergic to when I was younger. But I'm telling you, I cannot bring myself to find out if I'm allergic to shrimp or not. When I think about shrimp, 
Or when, I, when, I, when I'm at somewhere and I think, this is it, I'm going to do it. And then I try to approach, that's, there's fear there, all right, about what's going to happen if I try to do that. And that's very simple, but some of us have serious things that have happened to us or that we experienced in life. And when we see something, um, when we hear something, when someone says something to us, when we think something is about to happen, that can trigger that fear and anxiety all over again. Uh, you know, why do we do that? It's fear from something in the past that caused, you know, some of you, uh, you're, you're worried, those of you that are in school, you're worried about the grades that you're trying to get right. And you're worried about getting good grades and passing these classes because you want to graduate from college because you want to get the right job. And you're worried that if you don't get the right job, you're not going to get the perfect spouse. And you're worried if you don't get the perfect spouse that you're not going to be able to start a family and have kids. And then when you do have kids, you're worried because you're going to have to send them to a school where there's so many bad influences. You don't want them to turn out bad. And then you're worried that you're going to have to provide for them financially. And you're going to have to put braces on them and, and pay for all their sports and buy them a car and pay for their college while you're still paying for yours. And then you're worried that you're not going to be able to keep up and you're tired all the time and that you've got a headache. And now you're worried that headache is a brain tumor. Anybody else go on one of those rabbit trails? You know, Am I the only one that experiences... That kind of worry, uh, we're just compounds like that. And so today, let's talk about worry and our mind. We said this, that our life is always moving in the direction of our strongest thought. Our life is always moving in the direction of our strongest thought. And that is good news if we're thinking thoughts that are based on Philippians 4.8 that we just read. It's good news if we're, ba- if we're thinking thoughts that are based on truth. It's good news if we're thinking thoughts that are honest and just and, and praiseworthy and of good report. It's good news. But it's bad when we're thinking these worrisome, negative, critical thoughts. And anytime that we're worried and we're anxious and we're afraid and we allow those thoughts to, to dwell in our minds and we allow our, our minds to go to those negative Uh, dark places, then it only compounds and it becomes the way that we live. So that's why when we hear or see or think something, it triggers that worry. And we'll constantly go back to those negative things. And and we've talked about how God has designed our bodies incredibly. We know that. The Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And our brains are certainly a part of that. And uh, we have uh, talked about, though, that because of God's design... Because of the way he has made us, uh, we do have to rely on him. Uh, We do have to uh, follow him. We do have to make sure that we trust him. And certainly, because of our fallen nature, because of our sin nature, that is only compounded. We have to follow him and trust him and rely on him even more. And so God has designed our brains. We're going to look again a little bit of the science about our brains. God has designed each of our brains with a little almond-shaped portion that is called the amygdala. The amygdala, and that uh, little almond-shaped portion, the amygdala, is active. It is in full gear when we are afraid. That is when the amygdala is working. Um, It is the part of our brain that is wired for survival. It's the part of us that's responsible for fear. Uh, When we face a situation in which we experience fear, the amygdala is the part of our brain that brings that Uh, It's designed to keep us alive. Uh, That is why God has given us the amygdala, so that we will stay alive. Uh, We won't do something stupid. Uh, When there's danger, when we face danger, the amygdala kicks in and sends adrenaline coursing through our bodies so that we can react 
and either protect ourselves or to defend ourselves. You know, if, we, if you see a poisonous snake in the grass, your amygdala should kick in and you should run. Uh, that should be what it tells you to do. Uh, if you're driving down the road and someone is, not any of us, but someone else is texting and they're swerving into your lane, the amygdala kicks in and you swerve out of the way and miss them. Uh, if you're in the house or wherever you live at night and you hear a noise and you think it's an intruder, the amygdala kicks in and you're going to go hide or you're going to grab the lamp and suddenly learn karate and defend yourself. That's the amygdala kicking in. The problem with that part of your brain, the amygdala, is that it's not objective. It is not objective. See, the amygdala is hardwired to protect. That is what it does. Uh, that is its, its, its default operation is it's going to protect us. So the amygdala needs help from another part of our brain that God has put there called the prefrontal cortex. It's not science class, uh, but follow me. Uh, the amygdala needs help from the prefrontal cortex. That is the logical part of our brain. The logical part. For instance, you hear that noise at night. It's out in the living room or the kitchen. The amygdala, when it hears that noise, immediately says, Oh no, we're all going to die! We've got to run and hide! This is over! Life is over as we know it. We're all going to die tonight, bed. It's going to be terrible. Amygdala kicks in. But then the prefrontal cortex takes over, and we realize instantly it was just a cat. Doing cat things for reasons why we should never have cats. But anyway. And so, without the prefrontal cortex, the amygdala responds to our pre-programming. When it hears or sees or uh, 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 do something or experiences something, then it responds to what it's pre-programmed to do. Acts, whatever this is, is dangerous. Um, you know, in your life, if, if there's something that you experience and you don't ever want to experience that again, and you're traumatized by that, whatever it is, um, you know, your amygdala is pre-programmed to believe that that is dangerous, and every time that you experience that, the amygdala is going to take over, and you're going to try to survive. You're going to experience fear. Because of the way that we live, believing lies so many times, our brains have been pre-programmed to respond to triggers with worry and fear. You see something, you're experiencing something, uh, that's a trigger uh, that, res that leads you to respond with worry and fear. Now, let me say this, all right? That's important that we understand that that's how our brain operates because now we need to understand how to combat that with truth. Because of our fallen nature, because of the lies, the strongholds that so often uh, take over our minds, we've got to understand what is the truth. How do we combat those lies and bring our thoughts, as 2 Corinthians says, into captivity. We've got to bring them into captivity. We've got to put them at the point of the sword of truth, the sword of the Spirit, and make them be obedient to the truth of Christ. So what does the Bible say? Jesus, or excuse me, I should say, what does the Bible not say? Jesus does not say in John 14, let your hearts be troubled. He does not say that. When the angels came to announce the arrival of Christ, they did not say glory to God in the highest stress and anxiety in the earth. They didn't say that. Paul did not say in the verse we just read, be anxious and worry about everything. That's not what he said. Uh, look back at it with me. Philippians 4 and verse number 6. What does Paul say? He says, be careful 
for nothing. Be careful, be anxious, be worrying for nothing. But in everything, say everything with me, ready? Everything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Everything. Boy, I love that. Everything. Every situation. Paul says everything. Don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, every single situation, there is not an asterisk next to everything that says only the big stuff. This is what I actually uh, there's not a, an asterisk next to it that says only the life-changing decisions that you have to make. Those are the things that you need to bathe in prayer. No, no, no. Paul says everything, and everything means everything. Every situation, Paul says, we need to handle with prayer. We need to bathe in prayer. We need to go before God with prayer about those situations. The tests that we are going to have to face in the next couple of years. Uh, the end of school for you, for whatever that means. Uh, the decisions that you have to make about the summer, jobs, uh, what you're going to do in the fall. Uh, for those of you not married, your decisions about future spouses, financial difficulties and decisions that you have to face, trouble with uh, besetting sins and, and temptations that we're trying to overcome, uh, and then even the smallest little decisions of just dealing with people. Paul says everything, everything by prayer. Present our request to God. Bring our request to God. Let your request be made known unto God. Bring it to God. And Paul says we'll experience supernatural peace. It will guard our minds. Look at verse number seven. And the peace of God comes after prayer, which passes all understanding, shall keep or guard or protect your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Man, the power of prayer the power of prayer in every situation that God says, when you bring it to me, when you bring it to me, my peace will guard your heart. My peace will guard your mind. My peace will protect you from the worry and the anxiety when you bring it to me. See, unfortunately, we, like most people, when we face a difficult situation, and you may have heard people say this, when they're in trouble and they say, all we can do you know, God must, when God hears that, he must be thinking of in heaven, well, guess you're in trouble. You are down to your last straw and all you can do is pray. Man, I sure hope I can come through for this. But that shouldn't be our last resort. Prayer shouldn't be the last thing we turn to. After we've exhausted all of the options and, and every other thing that we can try and attempt and, and, and work on and figure out, and after we've worried and bitten every nail off, uh, now we're going to try to pray. No, it needs to be the first. It needs to be the first. We've got to realize, we've talked about this before. We won't spend time on it now. But prayer is so powerful. The power of prayer. The opportunity that we have as believers, as children, as sons and daughters of God to go before the throne of grace, boldly before the throne of grace, to find help in time of need. Uh, you know, Jesus said, we do, we do, you do not have because you do not ask. Uh, we've got to go to him in prayer. The audience, the opportunity to have an audience with the king of the universe about every situation. Think about that. Every single thing that is troubling you, every single thing that you're worried about, God says, I want you to bring it to me. 
I want you to bring it to me. I want you to lay it down at the throne of grace and I will give you peace. I will give you help in that time of need. I read this uh, uh, this week thinking and studying about prayer. Uh, and this quote said, prayer is an invitation to join with God in effectively changing the course of history. And we get to join with God in effectively changing the course of history all over the world. But first and foremost, it's an opportunity for you to change your story, for God to change your story, for God to change what's going on in your life right now. But the wonderful thing about prayer, and I believe we find it in these verses, and certainly it does, prayer moves the heart of God. We go to God because we want God to move, want God to answer, we want God to intervene. And it does move the heart of God. But more than that, prayer changes you. Prayer changes you. Scientifically, it has been proven that prayer changes the chemistry of your brain and how your brain physically functions. Uh, we, I think we mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but a few, hello, a few decades ago, neurologists, scientists uh, believed that our brains didn't change after adolescence. And, and they believed it was just stagnant, that it stayed the same, that when it reached adolescence, it had grown to the point that it was going to grow and that was going to be it. But after studying it out in the last couple of decades, they realized that our brain continues to develop throughout our entire lives. And that's the idea of neuroplasticity, that our brain is continually changing. Uh, and we've talked about that, how thoughts can change our brain and how we create those neural pathways and how uh, the thoughts of our brain, when we're thinking on things over and over again, we create those neural pathways that become default thoughts. Those are the things that we respond to and, and how we respond in situations. So that idea of neuroplasticity. But there's another idea that kind of goes along with that that is called neurotheology or, or spiritual neuroscience. And that is the study of the relationship between your brain any belief in God, uh, or the study of the relationship between the brain and prayer. And it has been proven that prayer changes your brain. Prayer changes the chemistry of your brain, how it functions. Uh, I read this uh, in studying for this, and it's just a, a phenomenal quote. But it says, it has been found uh, that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. 12 minutes of focused prayer over an eight-week period of time, every single day, can change your brain, literally change the chemical makeup of your brain and how it functions so that it's going to be noticed, so it's going to be detected on a brain scan. And that only makes sense. It only makes sense because of what God has told us in his word. When we think toxic and negative thoughts, uh, when we are thinking critical thoughts, when we're dwelling on worry or anxiety, that hurts our brain. Those negative neural pathways that are formed in our brain that we constantly go back to in every situation, the filter that we see life through, it's going to hurt our brain. But when we turn to God, when we focus on truth, when we make sure that every situation is 
bathed in prayer, that prayer can heal. We find in Romans 12 too, we know the Bible says, be not conformed to this world. Be not conformed to this world. Be not conformed to their ways. Be not conformed to their ways of thinking. Don't allow those negative, uh, worrisome, uh, critical thoughts and pathways affect our brain, but be renewed, be transformed, excuse me, by the renewing of your mind. We're supposed to be renewed in our minds. Our, our minds are to be rewired through the truth of God's word, and prayer is the thing that does that. So why do we worry? Why do we face panic? Why do we uh, have anxiety over so many different situations in life? Well, there, there's a lot of different reasons. We can all give our own. Um, scientists would tell us that we are experiencing an amygdala hijack. When the amygdala takes over and the prefrontal cortex cannot operate, when, when there is no logic, when we're just panicking, we're just worrying about everything, we can't overcome that. Uh, when, when we're just trying to survive, when we're just trying to make it, that's what scientists would tell us that we're experiencing. What would Paul say? What would the Spirit of God say? Paul would say that our mind is being dominated by sinful thinking. By sinful thinking. See, we've got to look at this idea of worry and how our brain operates through truth. And the truth is, worry, listen, worry is the sin of distrusting the promises and power of God. Worry is the sin of distrusting the promises and power of God. When we worry, what are we saying to God? I don't think you can handle this. When we worry, what are we saying? God, I don't think that you're big enough to deal with this. When we worry, what are we saying? God, I don't think you care enough to know. I'm just going to worry about it. I'm just going to try to deal with it. I'm just going to dwell on this situation, this thing that I have to take care of. And man, I don't want to live like that. I don't know about you. And I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live dwelling on those negative thoughts. I don't want to live dwelling on that worry. I don't want to live my life trying to hold in that negativity. I, I, want, I want to let, instead of letting my sinful nature control my mind, I want to choose to let the Spirit of God direct my thinking. Go to Romans chapter number 8. Go to Romans chapter number 8. It's our responsibility to choose to believe what God says, that it is true. We've got to choose that. We've got to logically choose that. We've got to let our brains choose the truth of the Spirit. Look at verse number 5 of Romans chapter 8. It says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, carnal minds, negative minds. But they that are after the Spirit, following after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit... A spiritual mind yielded to the Spirit of God allows our minds to choose spiritual things, things of truth. For to be carnally minded is what? What does that say? Death. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritual minded is life and what? Peace. Life and peace. The, the mind that is ravaged by worry, those negative thoughts, those negative neural pathways that are controlling our thoughts. That is death. That leads to death. Death of our minds. Death of being able to have peace. But when we allow our minds to focus on the truth of the Spirit of God, it is life. It is peace. We must choose 
to follow truth. We've got to take every thought captive, like 2 Corinthians said, like Paul said. Every truth, those thoughts that don't fall into obedience with the truth, we've got to make sure that they are captive. Choose to follow truth. Choose to follow the Spirit that leads to a life of uh, leads to life and peace, not fear, not anxiety, not worry, uh, not panic. You know, we, we have got to choose. We've got to choose. Again, we've said this before. There are a lot of things that God can't do or that God can only do for us, excuse me, that we've got to let him do, but there are a lot of things that God commands us to take responsibility for ourselves. And the war of our mind is one of those things that we've got to choose. We've got to cast down imagination. We've got to take every thought into captivity. We've got, you've got to get your prefrontal cortex to grab your amygdala by whatever, the tail, the neck, the horns, I don't care, uh, and tell it to focus on truth. Make it be captive to God. You know, see, for most of us, we get a box, and this is our box of worry. My offering. Uh, it's a box of worry. And most of the time, this is what we do. These are all of our worries, and we say, okay, we understand this truth. I've got to give it to God. And most of the times, we take our box of worry, and we go to give it to God, and we hold it out to God. God, I'm going to give this to you. Okay, you're not doing it, but I'm just going to take it back now. That's most of the time what we do. We say, God, I'm going to give you my box, but we still hold on. I'm still holding on to God. I don't trust you to take my worries. I don't trust you to take the cares. I don't trust you to handle every situation. And we hold on to it, and then we take it back. See, the problem is your God is too small, and your box is too big. Some of you, you would be, you would do well to literally get a box, put God's name on it, and every time that you have a worry, you write it on a piece of paper, and you put it in that box, and you hide it somewhere, you dig a hole and put it in the yard, I don't care. And you say, God, I am literally giving this worry to you. And the next time that you wake up in the middle of the night, and you feel the need to worry about whatever that is, you have to go to that box. You have to pull it out and take it back from God. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing. Be careful for nothing. Don't worry about anything. And that seems, you know, people may hear that and think, well, that just seems irresponsible. Are you just living in denial about all of your problems? No, I'm not saying be careless. I'm not saying uh, don't make the right decisions. I'm not saying don't prepare for things like you need to. But I am saying give it to God. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let me give you three things about how to allow this to shape our life. This is, and, and I think this will help us. Um, first of all, when it comes to things that we worry about or want to worry about, number one, we need to do what I can do. Do what I can do. I'm going to do what I can do. If it's in my power to do it, I'm going to do it. If I'm responsible for it, I'm going to, you know, if it's, if it's our health, I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to, I'm going to eat right. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to make wise decisions about my health. I'm not going to ruin my body. I'm going to do what I can do. Uh, if it's with school, I'm going to study, and 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 I'm, I'm going to put the time in. I'm going to say no to things that would take me away from my focus. I'm going to do what I can do. If it comes to our finances, I'm going to make wise decisions with my money. I'm going to live on a budget. 
Uh, I'm going to obey God in giving. I'm not going to spend more than I have. I'm going to do what I can do. We can do what we can do. There's a lot of the times we worry because we don't always do what we can do. And so we need to make sure that we do what we can do. I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to, I'm going to do everything that is in my power and in my strength and my ability to do as God has commanded me, as, as is being a good and wise steward over what he's given to me. I'm going to do what I can do. But then, number two, I'm going to give God what I can't do. Because there comes a point where you can't control things. You can't control people. You can't always control the circumstances that come into your life. I'm going to give God what I can't do. God, I can only do so much. I have given it, you know, you can't, you can't change your health or somebody's health. You've done all you can do. I'm going to give God what I can do. You can't make money magically appear. You can do what you can do. And you can give God what you can't do. And then number three, you trust God no matter what. It seems simple. Man, how hard is that for us? Do what I can do. Give God what I can't do. And then trust him no matter what. Imagine a heart of peace, a life of joy, the peace of mind of trusting God. Because it's all possible. It's all available. It's our, uh, what we choose. It's about where we let our mind go. So as we close up this, this series, let me, let me ask you again. If your mind is moving or excuse me, if your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts, do you like the direction that your thoughts are taking? If your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts, do you like the direction that you're headed? And if you don't, let's change. If you can't control what you think, then you'll never control what you do. Can't allow our minds to be overrun by the lies held captive in the strongholds of deception. We've got to name lies that are holding us captive that are creating this worry, that are creating anxiety, uh, that are creating uh, this frustration in our lives. We've got to identify the truths that defeat those lies that we need to dwell on, that we need to focus on. Remember, we can't control what happens to us, but we can control how we frame it, how we view it, how we look at it. And remember, we're not going to be anxious about anything. We're going to cover everything in prayer. In everything by prayer and supplication. Let your request be made known to God. We're not going to believe a lie, but we're going to embrace 